Is there a medical model that can significantly decrease costs while increasing patient health and patient satisfaction? We'll find out in this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of Shift Shapers is sponsored by MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions for benefit advisors. Local, regional, and national advisors rely on this affordable, easy-to-use, real-time search engine to find their target prospects. For more information, visit our website at www.shiftshapersonline.com. In today's episode of Shift Shapers, we're really excited to be speaking to Dr. Erica Bliss, who is the president and CEO of QLiance, a pioneer in the area of direct primary care. Hey, Erica, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for spending some time with the Shift Shapers audience. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Before we get into a discussion of direct primary care and what it is and, and why it's relevant more and more today, tell our audience a little bit about your background, if you will. Sure. Happy to. I am a family physician and I'm uh, located in Seattle, Washington. I came to medicine a little later in life than most with the urge to help change the healthcare system and with a passion for primary care as uh, one of the important ways of doing that. I trained down in San Diego at UC San Diego for medical school and I came up here to Seattle for residency at Swedish Family Medicine where I completed my training. Right after residency I took a job working for a community clinic organization where I was a full scope family doctor delivering babies, seeing folks in the hospital, all that kind of thing and also acting as an administrator for the organization. I was a, a medical director of the clinic. I did quality improvement work, et cetera. But after a few years of that, I started to experience what a lot of primary care physicians and other providers are experiencing these days, which is feeling like you're constantly running on a treadmill and trying to get a lot of people through clinic, but not really getting to do good care. And I really started to feel some of the burnout that I had heard about. And I was really surprised because I loved what I did so much. And I had, you know, obviously put a lot of effort into it, like everybody does going into medicine. Um, and to feel like I really didn't want to do clinical medicine anymore was, a, a, was kind of a shock. And it was around that time that my cousin contacted me about a new model of care and asked me if I wanted to join him to see if we could scale that more broadly. And that new model of care was direct primary care. Exactly. For the benefit of our listeners who might not be acquainted with direct primary care, what is it? So direct primary care is a term used to describe a different approach to primary care, and it's got a couple of different aspects to it. Um, first, I have to start by saying the vast majority of primary care and all medical care in this country is delivered in what's called the fee-for-service system, which basically means exactly what it says. You're paid a fee for each service that you deliver. In primary care, the service that we deliver is largely face-to-face -face patient encounters where we talk to patients, we examine them, we figure out what their issues are and help them manage their, their health. We're not doing a lot of invasive procedures. We're not uh, taking care of people in the hospital that much. So it's a lot of 
you know, cognitive interpersonal work with, with folks. And traditionally, our healthcare system and payers have not valued that very highly. So what has happened is providers have to see more people during the day to make up for the low reimbursement rates per visit. So that's a problem, but it's also a problem to be paid by the service because you're being rewarded for a volume of visits rather than the quality of the work you're doing and the outcomes for the patient. So direct primary care reverses that trend by switching to a periodic fee. And in our case, and in most cases, I think it's a monthly fee. So kind of like a gym membership, it's a subscription to the practice where you get all you can eat, essentially primary care. And the notion is that if you pay the doctor a monthly fee to take care of the person, they're freed up to do what they think is right. So whether that's an office visit that takes 15 minutes or 45 minutes or two hours, or whether it's a phone call or email or some other form of communication, it doesn't really matter because the doctor isn't worried about how do I get paid for this particular service that I'm delivering. So it it liberates a lot of energy and time, but it also liberates a lot of unnecessary overhead that goes into the billing process to get paid under the fee-for-service system. So the monthly fee actually all goes to care, pretty much, and a very tiny amount of that goes to overhead. The other side of direct primary care that's really important is that it costs more than what is typically paid for primary care in this country. And I'm talking about what typical payers will will pay insurers and, and other folks. What we're trying to educate the industry and the public about is that if you make a little bit bigger upfront investment in primary care, you get very big downstream benefits from it. So, and we're not talking big dollars. Most direct primary care is pretty affordable and the monthly fee is generally under $100 per month. And it varies anywhere from 40 to 99, I think is is sort of the general range depending on the practice. So the basic principle is you get rid of the fee-for-service model and pay on a monthly basis. And then you pay more so that you can actually do what is right for the patient and not have to take care of so many people that you really can't give them your best attention. You take care of a smaller number of people, give them more attention, take better care of them, and keep them healthier. You mentioned that payers in the past have not valued direct primary care or primary care in general, regardless of the delivery model, quite as much as maybe they should have. And I mean, you know as well as I do that the bean counters are always looking at, does it move the trend? Does it change the claims cost? Do you have any stats? Can you share with our listeners any idea of you know what impact having a direct primary care practice involved in tandem with a core plan might do to the overall rates of reimbursements and the overall cost of care? Well, it's early days to get you know really solid data, but I can speak a little bit to our experience, which really is over the past year and a half or so, when we really started to work with much larger clients like large employers and a managed care payer and also with some unions, we've been able to look at total claims data and really assess looking at folks who see us versus folks who do not. And we've been able to see that across the board, there's always savings uh, in the first year. And that savings is pretty dramatic. It's anywhere from 10 to 40% total savings after our fee. So that means that the company or the payer actually lowered the total cost of care by paying us more and letting us do what we do and nothing else changing. I mean, they didn't change the network for those people. They didn't put any other restrictions on them. They just said, you know, you've chosen this for primary care, go to Q-Lions for that care. 
And I suspect, and I also suspect you can speak to this, that there's a much higher patient satisfaction rate with getting care in this kind of a setting. Uh, Any anecdotal information or stats that you can share with us? Actually, both. Yes, we have very, very high levels of patient satisfaction. They really recognize that this is a dramatically different experience, and they tell us so. You know, those of us who have been doing this now for the last seven years have kind of forgotten what it's like in the the fee-for-service world. But it truly is not that those offices or providers are trying very, very hard are not trying very, very hard to deliver a good experience. They are, but it's an impossible situation for them. So, you know, it's just a dramatically different experience when folks come and see us. What they experience, as they tell us, is that it's the first time ever or in a very long time that they felt like someone really, really listened to them and took their concerns seriously and really helped them deal with them and didn't sort of brush them off. That's one of the biggest forms of feedback we get. Um, the other thing is that they really appreciate the time that's spent with them, that it's, we're not always in a rush. You know, their time is valued. We don't make them wait forever to see the doctor. They get seen within 10 minutes of their appointment time maximum. We get them in quickly if they have a problem, same day or next day. We make it convenient for them. And there's no hassle when they come in. There's no copay. There's no additional charges. So it's a very seamless experience for them. Um, statistically speaking, we do the CAPS survey for outpatient care that is being used increasingly nationwide. And we are able to actually compare ourselves to regional benchmarks that are collected by an organization here. And I was actually just looking at this data. Our our satisfaction rates for all different kinds of domains, access to care, communication, timeliness, how they were treated, all those kinds of things, for us run about 95% on up where the local benchmarks are down in the, you know, the averages in the 60s and 70s, and the 90th percentile only gets up to the maybe high 70%. So clearly, there's a huge difference in the way that people experience this care. And now a word from our sponsor, MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions for benefit advisors. Do you want to find prospects in your area without having to make cold calls? but with a warm introduction from a network relationship or the prospect's accounting firm? How about finding companies that are out of compliance on their Form 5500 filing? What if you could find prospects that are paying more than standard compensation for their products and services? MyEdge makes it easy to create a pipeline of only qualified leads, and you'll set yourself apart from the crowd when you know how to build a targeted value-add strategy for companies you want to work with. Clients and prospects always appreciate it when their benefit advisors take the time to understand their employee benefits before they meet. Don't act and sound like everyone else. Use MyEdge and get the ultimate unfair advantage. To learn more about this innovative prospecting solution, visit our website at www.shiftshapersonline.com. A couple of questions that I think go together, but we'll, we'll talk about them separately. How does Q-Lions has been, at least until recently, a regional player, still is, but I know you all are, are working on expanding, but how does your model work? Does, for, again, listeners who might not be quite as conversant with it, does it replace care? Does it add an additional layer? How does Q-Lions' model work? So we work with all different types of customers, everything from just individual subscribers who tell us, I want to buy this kind of primary care. And those people may not even have insurance, or they may have, you know, very, very robust, low deductible insurance, or anything in between. 
they may be a self-employed person, they may be with a company. So we, we still have individual subscribers. We work with small employers who, for whom this is maybe an addition to a high deductible plan to make it a more functional plan for their employees. We work with large payers such as you know large companies. We work with uh, Expedia, we work with Comcast, those types of employers where they are self-insured. They, administ- they have their own plans that they pay for everything and they use an administrator to administer the plan. And they set up their plans all different kinds of ways. Sometimes it's that the employees choose a different plan if they want to have Q-Lions for primary care. Sometimes it's that it's a choice within a plan. It really varies by employer. And then our first foray into working with insurance companies has been through a Medicaid managed care company where essentially they put us in network. So we're a, we're a network provider and their members can choose us for primary care. They can assign them to us whichever way they decide to go. And in all of those cases, we, when we do have to send people out for advanced care, uh, we try to keep them within whatever network their plan defines. So if it's a very broad network, we try to send them to people we know are going to give good service and ideally are going to you know, be a reasonable cost if we have that information. If it's a narrower network, we try to really make sure that they're staying in network so they don't have to absorb additional costs on top of that. But otherwise, the rest of their insurance functions like it normally does. It doesn't change that. And do you, in your practice model at least, do you charge a copay for primary care? No, no. And in fact, we did that very much on purpose. And there are two reasons. The major reason is when you really think about the healthcare system and how you want it to be structured to function at its best, you really need high functioning primary care at the foundation of it. And if you think about where people want to spend their time in healthcare, not that anyone wants to spend their time getting healthcare, it's not like it's a fun thing to consume, but when you need it, you need it. And I think most people would agree that if they have to get healthcare themselves, they'd much rather be at the primary care level than in a specialist's office or getting an MRI or in the hospital. Because what that means is things have not yet become so complicated that you need additional advanced care. So from a system perspective, that makes sense too, because primary care is inexpensive. It's focused on prevention and management to keep people from getting into trouble, which means it's going to keep them out of the expensive part of the system. So from a systems perspective, we should be making it so easy to get primary care that people don't even think twice. They have a health concern. The first thing they think of is, I got to talk to my doctor, pick up the phone, send an email, whatever the case may be. So we have purposely designed this to be a barrier-free system. And frankly, even paying a $10 copay, it causes people to think twice about whether they want to go in or whether they want to contact the office. Once they're paid, they're paid. We don't want them to think about anything else but getting care. And we don't want that to be a part of the equation between the doctor and the patient. The secondary reason, which is a lesser reason, but also important to us, is that it removes a whole layer of complication from an administrative perspective. And like I said earlier, part of the DPC model is removing unnecessary administrative overhead. And there is overhead attached with collecting a copay from people when they show up for an appointment. And it really changes the dynamic with the front desk staff, too. So rather than them being able to greet a patient and say, hi, Mrs. Smith, it's great to see you. Just have a seat. We'll be with you in a moment versus, hi, Mrs. Smith, could I see your insurance card? And oh, by the way, I need to collect your copay. Very different experience. And so going back to the patient experience data, 
that fee, that's where it starts, that people come in and they're being told, you're, you know, you're here for health care, we're going to get you health care, not, oh, before we do that, we're going to have to make you pay for something. Would you say that as we go along the post-ACA universe that direct primary care will be of more importance perhaps than it was or more significance might be a better word than it it might have been pre-ACA? I definitely think so. And I think there are a number of reasons for that. Something really big happened in this country in 2008, and which is that we hit a very deep recession. And the recovery has not been what everyone has sort of hoped it would be. And I believe that what we saw was a fundamental restructuring of some parts of our economy. But even more important than that, what happened was healthcare costs didn't go down along with everything else that, you know, was the utilization went down and prices stabilized at the very least. And that just didn't look right. And when we looked at a, as a country at what we're spending our money on, looking at the ever rising percentage of GDP that healthcare represents, people started to get a little scared because what if our economy didn't recover? How are we going to survive being saddled with this you know, never-ending growth of costs of healthcare. So I think the scales fell from everybody's eyes. The other thing that happened is it really kind of exposed the inefficiency and, and poor performance of the healthcare system as a whole. So we're paying a lot as a society and we're not getting good value. So that was a big deal too. And I think it really shifted the discussion. And I think that's what set the stage for passing the Affordable Care Act. So there's a different discussion going on nationwide. And I think there's a different understanding of primary care. When we first started seven years ago, I found myself having to explain, you know, to policymakers and, and other folks what primary care was before we even could explain what direct primary care was. Nowadays, people have a much better understanding of primary care. They really do understand that we need to have robust primary care or costs are never going to get under control and we're never going to improve quality. So, so the discourse is very different. As more and more people get covered in this country, that adds visible costs to the system. And we're going to start to be able to see what all those folks' healthcare costs as well. And what people are seeing is that, well, healthcare costs stabilized for a couple of years, but mainly because we've been looking at it. And the minute we turn our backs, it's going to start growing again. And we need some sort of different system to address that in the long term. And I think the more we have data, like the data that I shared with you earlier about really, really dramatic, fast savings that wipes out all the waste in the system, it's going to become increasingly important to all the folks paying for healthcare to find truly meaningful, real savings in the system that is easy to implement. And I think direct primary care is going to be, on the provider side, pretty easy to implement long term because it's what we want to do. We want to take really good care of our patients. And it's a much simpler business model than what folks are having to deal with right now. We've got just a couple of minutes left, and I wanted to be sure to to ask about, again, I know for the time being, at least you folks at Q-Lions are regional. Are there other practice models at work around the country? And in brief, what do those look like? So there are a lot of variations on a theme for direct primary care. They all have those same basic principles of changing the payment structure and also charging a more reasonable amount for primary care in order to be able to deliver very relationship-centered personalized care. The way that that care is actually delivered, who's on the team, that kind of thing varies from place to place, but the basic principles are, are the same. We're seeing this grow very rapidly across the country, and there's everything from individual solo docs who are either starting a new practice or transitioning their practice to this model, all the way up to larger companies like ourselves, 
companies like Iora Health and Our Health in Philadelphia, we're all approaching it a little bit differently to try to solve the problem of how do we transform primary care and how do we integrate this model into the, the system so that it can really take off. We're seeing people literally all over the country in probably every state experimenting with this model. And there have actually been a couple of national meetings now where a large number of providers have showed up who want to learn about the model so that they can think about transitioning their practices. It's very popular among independent practitioners who want to stay independent. They don't want to be bought by a hospital. And it's something that employers and payers are starting to look at very, very seriously because they're looking for real, you know, permanent ways of, of changing the system. I think our company is not unique in planning to expand out of state. I think there are several companies that are looking at that. Iora Health is already in multiple states. So I think as the demand grows for this model, I think you're going to see more and more of those companies forming up and delivering care across the country. Uh, Dr. Erica Bliss, President and CEO of Q Alliance, we thank you today for a great grounding in direct primary care. And we look forward to speaking with you again as the delivery method expands and as Q Alliance expands. Thanks for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you for having me. For more information about this episode or about any of our earlier episodes and to learn how to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode, go to our website, shiftshapersonline.com. While you're on the site, leave a comment and register to be part of the Shapers community. You'll be the first to learn about upcoming specials like exclusive webinars and content you can use to take your business to the next level. Again, thanks for joining us for today's episode. And remember, you have the power to shape the shifts in your business.